If you have your Bibles, I want to turn to Mark chapter 15. I'll hold my remarks. I'm so sorry for the loss of this great family, church family, and uh, our prayers will be with you in the days to come. And um, we have enjoyed just being with the Pastor Chance and his wife last night and uh, had a great meal, and our accommodations are just beautiful. We're treated royally here, and uh, that means so much. Amen. I think last time I was supposed to come, I had to cancel. Uh, I had the, the COVID stuff, and so uh, y'all glad I didn't show up. And so, uh, but now here I be. Amen. Anybody ready to hear the word of the Lord? Amen. Now I'm going to try to help somebody today. Can I do that? I didn't come just a sermon. I just want to try to help you. And so if you'll listen, I'm going to help you today. In Mark chapter 15, in verse 15, Pilate, willing to content the people, he released Barabbas unto them, and he delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Verse 17, And they clothed him with purple. They plaited a crown of thorns, and they put it upon his head, and they began to salute him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed, and they did spit upon him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and they, they put on his own clothes and they led him out to crucify him. And this next verse is where I'll take my subject. And they compel one Simon of Cyrenian who had passed by coming out of the country the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Let me repeat that. A portion, they compelled, everybody say compelled. They compelled one by the name of Simon to bear the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you so much for your wonderful spirit that we feel thus far and the glory that is in this house and the anointing that's on this platform. Thank you for these singers that has put us in such a wonderful worship atmosphere. Anoint the lips of clay, anoint the ears to hear it, but anoint our spirits to receive it. When we leave and the lights are turned out and the doors are locked, let us know that we have done your perfect will in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. And if you've got a good attitude, you can be seated. Amen. Now, we don't, we don't know a whole lot about Simon, other than that he was a Cyrenian. We don't even know why he was in Jerusalem that day. Now, perhaps uh, it was a Passover. Uh, maybe he was on vacation. He might have been on a business trip. And he may have been visiting relatives. We really, really don't know. Simon just happened to be passing by when this cruel crucifixion was about to happen. And so Simon of Cyrene got his moment of providence, not out of compassion, not out of concern, neither because he cared. He was 
compelled. He was made to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, according to the Roman custom, the penalty of crucifixion was always preceded by a severe punishment. And after this preliminary punishment, the condemned person had to carry his cross and carry it to the top of the place of execution, exposed to all of the taunts and all of the insults of all of the people. And so Simon, he just kind of got caught up in, in this, and he was on the street when all of this was transpiring, and this crowd came down the road. And, and there were three men, and they were, they were dragging these heavy wooden crosses, and, and they would uh, struggle underneath the load of them, and they would stumble and then make their way back to their feet, only to take a few more steps and then fall again. And uh, this is this is Lacombe translation, but but perhaps he 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 stopped someone in the crowd and he might have asked, "What's going on here? What's what's happening here?" He wasn't from around there, and so the reply was, "Well, we're going to the place of the skull to execute these three prisoners. The trial was held last night, and we just want to get all of this messy business out of the way." before the Sabbath begins. And so Simon's curiosity begins to grow, and, and so he, he, he just kind of hangs, hangs in there, and, and he probably thought, what a, what a terrible crime that these men must have done to, to uh, deserve to be executed on a cross. And why, why is the crowd so eager to see them executed? And so his interests began to get the best of him. And, but he mingled in with the mob and, and uh, on his way to Calvary. But little did he know just how involved he was about to become. And then he considered one of these condemned men. He saw him struggling. He saw him staggering. He saw him, he saw him dragging himself underneath the weight of the cross. He would fall down and then he would get back up and he would get on one knee and then struggle to get uh, to his feet. And, and then Simon hears this, this strong uh, commanding voice and it goes something like this. Hey, you there. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking to you. I want you to help that man right over there carry his cross. And he pointed to Jesus. And Simon is transformed from a spontaneous spectator to a participator in the greatest drama in human history. And the Bible says they compelled Simon to bear the cross of Jesus Christ. But listen to me. Sometimes in telling of the story of Simon of Cyrene, we tend to overlook the reason why they called him out. Why did they compel him? Why was he summoned and singled out for his services? Simon, hear me, was called out to help Jesus bear his cross. Oh, that didn't go good. Now listen to me. 
I'm talking about the God manifested in the flesh. I'm talking about the almighty God. He needed assistance to save us. Before you tune me out, just hang on. The God, the God that could speak to the, to, with the word and the earth would be formed. The God that the blushing waters became pregnant with living things at his word. The God who could stretch out the heaven over an empty place. Hallelujah. And uh, the God that at his word, red seas became interstate and wilderness became a uh, blossom like a rose and ravens fed prophets and bill barrels never stopped giving and all, all cruises never stopped. Then this God, this God who was manifested in the flesh, stars, and angels sang Christmas carols at his birthplace. But this God eternal son was born and they called his name Jesus. And Jesus could just call the dead by name and they would come back to life again. He could speak to the lame and they could walk. And he would speak to the blind and they would see. And he could cleanse diseases. But this visible image of the invisible God needed help to get to the top of the hill. Somebody had to assist the Almighty. Someone had to carry his cross. Somebody had to help the Son of Man in his mission to mankind. The healer is now hurting. He's helpless. He's heartbroken. He is distraught. He's destitute. He is dependent. The Almighty God robed in flesh is now stumbling and struggling to get to his feet. Now, I know it's hard for us to wrap our brain around that, but let's just admit it. The weight of the cross piece was too heavy for Jesus. Encouraging myself. Our Savior is struggling and stumbling. The Christ could not carry his own cross to the top of a hill. I'm just going to say it. Jesus wasn't strong enough to get to the place that he needed to get. He needed help. And that's the reason why Simon was compelled to help Jesus carry his cross. I want to preach a little while here this morning on a subject. We are saved by a stumbling Savior. Now, we don't like the picture. I know that. We don't like to picture our God struggling and staggering and, and, and stumbling to think that the infallible God is falling and that our, our Heavenly Father 
is too fragile and he's too faint to finish. I know some of us don't like to wrap our brain around that, but because who, who wants a Savior that stumbles? Who wants a God that needs help to carry his own cross? Can I, can I bear my burden out here a little bit? Hear me. In our culture right now of success and, comp and, and accomplishments, we deify strength, we deify power, we deify achievements. And we seem to idolize the strong and the sturdy. And we admire those people that never make a mistake. We want to think that saints just never slip up and preachers are those, those persons of perfection and the Sunday school teachers, they are the super spiritual ones and the ministering team, they are the epitome of perfection and the worship leaders, they never get weary in well-doing. But listen to me. In our portrait of perfection, we make it so hard for the imperfect people to become a part of our church family. We forget the fact that even Jesus, he stumbled and struggled and staggered under the weight of the cross he had to carry. We are saved by a stumbling Savior. You that are familiar with NFL, uh, Walter Payton went down in history as one of the greatest running backs in NFL. And when they figured up his stats, they realized that he had been knocked down every four yards. How would you like to run four yards and get knocked down? And then get up and run four more yards and get mowed down again. But the secret of Walter Payton's success was he didn't stay down. He got back up and he ran four more Yards. Now let me tell somebody, four yards may not seem a whole lot, but at the end of his career, he had run nine miles, four yards at a time. Was he embarrassed? Yes. Hurt his feelings? Sure. But a big old tackle would reach over and grab him by the shoulder pads and lift him back to his feet and said, save your strength. Get back up. We're going to run four more yards again. And he would take his place behind the center, and he would run four more yards. Now, all of us fat fans in the grandstands and couch coaches at home, we're all waiting for that big breakout run, that glory run when they catch it on the one- or two-yard line. And they run 98 yards. But can I tell you, games are not won by 98-yard runs. They are won four yards at a time. You go four yards, you get knocked down, just get back up. 
and you go four more yards, you get knocked down, go get back up. And if you go four more yards, you get knocked down, get back up. Now it's a first down. And you start all over again. And you go four yards, another four yards, another four yards, and it's first down. Now, I'm not a basketball fan. You can tell by looking. God didn't make me play basketball. He, God built me for a lazy boy recliner, you know, so. But when Michael Jordan was returning to professional basketball, just a word of his return created and generated such a frenzy all across our country. Stock market actually went up in reports of his return. As a result, one manufacturer was, uh, he run out of just jerseys because the demand was so great of Jordan's new number. But I'll never forget a news commentator asked a little boy, said, why do you like Jordan so much? Here's what the little boy said, it's a classic. He said, because he can jump over everything. Let me repeat that. He can jump over everything. Now, isn't that what we expect out of one another? Is that what we expect out of our holy heroes? Is that what we require of one another? Surely they can carry their cross. Surely they can get through this by themselves. Surely they're strong enough. They can handle that. Surely they can jump over their problems. Sometimes, now this is for your charge. This won't cost you nothing. I, I personally think we're so hard on each other because we sin differently than they do. We tend to forget, listen, we tend to forget you don't have to be infallible, flawless, or faultless to have a future with God. I'm going to help somebody here today. He still knows my name. Thank you. He still knows my name. Moses had a bad temper. Anybody got a bad temper? Don't, don't raise your hand. Just read the books sometimes of these people that got their name in the Holy Writ. You think that's perfect? Oh. Moses had a bad temper. Miriam gossiped too much. Noah loved wine. Gideon was insecure. Jacob lied and was a crook. David was a peeping Tom and had an affair. Solomon had a passion for strange women. Jonah ran from God. He was prejudiced. Elijah was stressed out and depressed and sometimes suicidal. Jeremiah was despondent, and he cried too much. Hosea's wife walked out on him. Gideon and Thomas doubted. John the Baptist was rude. Am I making sense? And they got their name in the book. You don't have to stay down. You just got to get back up. 
<laughs> James and John had political motives. Martha worried too much. Mary, she was too lazy. John Mark was a deserter. And Peter, the guy who preached on the day of Pentecost, and we're still preaching his message today, he talked too fast, he lied, and he cussed. I hope I'm doing all right. Am I making sense? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points he was tempted like as we are yet without sin. Our God knows that we're going to mess up every now and then and we're going to stumble and fall. He had Simon lift him up and we're going to be the ones that's going to lift one another up. That's why 1 Peter 5, casting all your cares upon him because he careth for you. Now, now listen to me very closely. This is going to get a little, little, everybody take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. <laughs> I'm going to try to help somebody. I strongly believe in discipline. I strongly believe in correction and rules and guidelines and standards. We got to have those. We got to have those in our country and in church. We got to have that. Now, when I was growing up, that's been just right after Noah got off the ark. When I was, and your pastor and I are same age. So Now, when I was growing up, it was hard to live for God. It's easy now. Y'all got it. Got it. Easy. Y'all not. I don't get this. We had tough preachers. We couldn't do anything. You could just smile and take a bath. <laughs> if you laughed, he preached against it. Oh, y'all, y'all. I've never been to a football game in my life. I've never drank. I don't know. I, I told somebody the other day, I, I'd hate to go to heaven and not know how I would act, uh, you know, being drunk. Some people get mad, some cuss, some fight. I don't know how, what I do just to think you got to go to heaven and never know. We couldn't go to skating rings. We couldn't go to rodeos. We couldn't, we couldn't do nothing. <laughs> when you'd go, <laughs> you can stop me anytime you want to. When you go to, when you go to Walmart and you went back there in the TV department, I'm looking for a mouse for my computer. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was tough. We couldn't go to restaurants where they, they played anything but gospel music. 
no colored shirts, no open-toed shoes on women, no red ties. Oh, my God. No drums. Help us, Lord. I'm telling you, that's exactly the way it was. One preacher come through preaching on divers' diseases. We couldn't even go swimming. Now listen, don't do that. When I was coming up, if you messed up, you messed up. The pastor brought you down in the front. Of it. You remember this? Come right down to the front, in front of God and everybody. And your sin was shared before God and everybody, and your sentence was announced. You couldn't sing in the choir for one year. You couldn't participate in a drum or any place. You couldn't get on a platform for a year. You couldn't take communion for a year. All you could do was pray and pay tithes. They never did take paying tithes away. I promise, I tried it. You get put in prison, they'll go to prison, pick up your quarter at the end of the week. That's all we could do. So about 39, 40 years ago, I thought, I'm going to try that. So I took a church. And I mean, I laid the hammer down. And after a couple months, I lost all my Sunday school teachers. And the next month, I lost all my singers and my secretary and my staff. In the next month, I had no musicians and no ushers. And about six months into the pastoring, I was the only one on the platform. But then, on the third day, of the sixth month. I wasn't even worthy for pulpit participation or platform privileges. Am I making sense? And it dawned on me. I said, it dawned on me because this book says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I started understanding that day Hallelujah, that I'm pastoring some stress and stumbling saints of God and people who are under pressure and Christians who are carrying heavy crosses, young couples who are sandwiched between taking care of their grandkids and their own family. And the Lord only knows what else they go through. And I realize that every one of us, we need a little help every now and then to carry our cross. Why do you think Jesus had a church in mind when he went to Calvary? He knew every one of us were going to need a little help. And you're in a place today is where you can get help. The perfect don't come here. Those that are struggling and stumbling, 
you come in to we that had been here and been through it. We'll take you by the hand and we'll help you carry your cross till you can fulfill your mission in this world. Thank God for the church. Galatians 6, bear ye one another's burdens. Romans 15, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmity of the weak. But hear me, the enemy of our soul would like for us to think that stumbling disqualifies us. But I came to tell some of us we are saved by a stumbling Savior. The Bible says of Apostle Paul, he kept the faith and he finished the course. It didn't say he didn't get off course. It said he finished the course. <laughs> let me, you'll understand this better. I, I, I taught a family uh, Bible study. Tom Logan was his name and his wife. And so I went to their home and uh, taught a Bible study. And they both came in to church. And, and uh, God filled them both the Holy Ghost. And they started serving the Lord and, and just were a great couple. And then one night uh, after service, or not after service, Tom came up to me and met me at the altar. And he said to Brother Combe, I really need to talk to you about something. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, man, thing been killing me. Just eat me up. I said, what's that, Tom? He said, you know, I, I know I got the Holy Ghost. And my wife got the Holy Ghost. And said, but you know, uh, he said, uh, I've been fighting with cigarettes. And he said, I just can't quit, man. And he said, I, and I'm struggling. I feel condemned. I feel bad. And, well, I didn't condemn him. And, you know, I got my own struggles. And. And so I, I said, now, Tom, I said, I'll tell you what you do. Every time you get an urge to smoke, you call me, and I'm going to pray. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't do that. He called me over a hundred times in one day. Pray. Oh, Jesus, man. Brother Cone, you better pray, right? I need a cigarette. Jesus. But can I tell you, God answers prayer. And God delivered him. He just needed somebody to help carry his cross. I was so happy when I saw your pastor get up here and start reading uh, prayer requests. Years ago, we used to ask everybody if they had a prayer request. <laughs> if you got your hand up first, you got asked first, you know. And then we would get it. We'd get all their problems and troubles, and, and we would know that their brother-in-law's cousin's aunt, but he's really not an aunt. We just call him an aunt, and... And uh, they live over there in Texas. Not Texas. They live right across the line, but they do their shopping in Texas. And, uh, and they just had a hemorrhoid service, uh, surgery last week. And so, I mean, 
that slipped. That wasn't supposed to come out. But, but you understand what I'm talking about. We, we got the whole scoop. Well, we quit that. Thank God, hallelujah. I'm messing with you. But we had a lady, <laughs> that's true. We had a lady in our church, and, and so when we would have prayer requests, and I'd say, anybody have a request? So I'd say, yes. And she'd say, pray for my kids. And I'm going to tell you, they needed it. Every one of them. So we'd pray. And I, I'll just be honest with you. She wore me out. I got to where I didn't even want to ask prayer. But can I tell you, God answers prayer. I say, can I tell you that God answered prayer? And one, one Sunday morning, I saw her and Junior. They came, he was the worst of the lot. You know, he, they came in the door and came right, right down and sat down. She was smiling. And when we gave the altar call, June, he come down. And God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about a great experience in the Lord. And, and she was so happy. His mom was just so excited. And that went on about a week or two and maybe... And then she came in the door one Sunday night, and I could tell she was disappointed and discouraged, and she went and sat down somewhere like this. And, and so uh, they started singing, so I went down, uh, and I went, and I said, uh, where's Junior at? And she said, oh, bro, come. she just started sobbing. She said all of his old friends, she said they all came over today and kind of hung around the car out there in the yard. He went out there, and they had loud music, and they were drinking and carrying on. And June wasn't drinking, but he was with them. And she said, I finally turned my back on the window, and when I looked out the kitchen window, they were gone. And she said, Junior was with them. I said, where do you think they went, sister? She said, uh, oh, I know where they went. She said, uh, they, they go to Fred's Lounge in Mamou. Now, that's a wild place we got over there, you know. <laughs> when you go there, when you walk in the door, they'll check you and see if you got a gun. And if you don't have one, they'll give you one before you go in. You know, it's just, it's a, <laughs> it's a terrible place. And so she said, I know they're over there. That's where they used to hang out. And so I said, okay. So I get back on the platform, and I come over there, and I tell my assistant, I said, uh, you think you can preach tonight? He said, oh, I didn't know this was my night. I said, it's not. I said, I got to go. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Fred's Lounge. <laughs> I don't advocate this. I've never been in a lounge in my life. I, you know, wasn't no temptation there. And after I went in there, I sure don't have no more temptations. And so, but I parked my truck and I went in and that was during the day they could smoke and I'm going to tell you, smoke was so thick in there. You... And I made my way to the bar. There was Junior. He was sitting there looking at a, at a, a glass of water. He just staring at it like a mule to look at a new gate, you know, just, he was just locked in. And, and so I pulled up a chair right beside him, just sat there. I didn't say nothing. And old Junior, he just kept looking at that water. Finally, while he turned and looked, he said, Oh, my God! What are you doing in here? 
I said, Junior, that's the same thing I came to ask you. What are you doing in here? He said, we got to get out. We got, we got to get out of here. You can't stay in there. I said, you can't either. And so we went out there. I said, my truck's outside. We got in the truck, and we drove back to church, and the preacher, my assistant was preaching. He was doing a good job. I'm talking about a good job. And me and Junior, we messed up a good sermon because both Junior and I, we needed the Holy Ghost again. So me and Junior just went right on down to the altar, and Junior and I repented, and Junior and I prayed, and Junior and I asked God to forgive us, and before long, Junior and I, we both got the Holy Ghost again. And Junior's still living for God right now, matter of fact, on the church board. Oh, God. Am I making sense? I close. Play a little bit, brother. That don't mean we're going to quit, but that, that gives us hope we're headed that way. There was a, a pastor's wife. They left here in the south, and they went to the northeast with a Bible study in one hand and a Bible in the other, and they went to start a church, taught Bible studies. Their very first convert was a stripper. She came in, God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She started serving the Lord, and it was such a great thing to see her worship the Lord. But as the devil would have it, before long she started slipping back. One Sunday night she wasn't there, and the pastor asked somebody, said, where's sister so-and-so? And they said, well, hate to say, but she went back to her old lifestyle. They had service. After service, the pastor told his wife, said, get your long coat, that winter coat, and let's go. We're going down to the strip club. And so they parked, and they went on in, and when they got in there, she was on the pole. He took the coat off of his wife, he walked up the steps, and while he was going towards her, a floor bouncer came out the other end. He said he pointed at him and said, if you touch me, God's going to kill you. He said that man stopped in his tracks, and he went up to that pole. He put that long coat over her shoulders, and he whispered in her ear. He said, you're not going to hell on my watch. He grabbed her by the arm and led her out. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. Now her husband and herself are now pastoring a church in the Northwest, and she's a ladies' leader of that section. We all, I said, we all are saved by a stumbling Savior. Let's stand and close. We live in a world that says universal creed, no one left behind. And that is shared by every firefighter and soldier and law enforcement, every compassionate pastor, every saint. We are compelled to help one another. 
because we just believe our creed is no one is left behind. When Edmund Hillary, some of you know the name, he's the man who got to the summit of Mount Everest first in 1953. He got a lot of publicity, had books written about him. Edmund Hillary. But did you know that Hillary had a companion? Did you know there was a guy with him? And if it wasn't for that guy, Edmund Hillary would have not made it to the top. Because he fell once and this man named Kenzie Norgay helped him back up. And on the way to the top, they two both made the summit. Edmund Hillary lived to tell the great story of the help of this unknown man, but he did get all the publicity. But when somebody asked Norgay, why didn't he talk about it more? Why didn't he say more about it? He just said, we mountain climbers, we just help one another. He said, that's just who we are. You're in a place today. I'm going to tell you, we Christians, we help one another. That's just who we are. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come up front. We're going to respect social distancing. I'm not going to ask you to touch anybody. But I wish you would just turn to somebody, even at a distance, and just say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. You can depend on me. If you need me, call me. I'll help you get back up. We're going to make it together. We are saved by a stumbling Savior, and every one of you, you deserve a church that loves you. I said you deserve a church that loves you and wants you to be saved. We're going to bear your cross. We will help you get through it. And one of these days, that great and grand day, we're going to all gather around the throne and we're going to look around and say, thank you for your help. Thank you for coming get me. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the text. I appreciate the card. Let's give the Lord a good hand praise, would you?